The Association for Diplomatic Studies and Training, ADST, is an independent, nonprofit organization located in Arlington, Virginia. Over the past 30 years, ADST has produced the largest U.S. diplomatic oral history collection, unveiling the horrifying, thought-provoking, and the absurd events that helped shape foreign policy. ADST.org, American Diplomacy, Warts and All. This ADST moment is a two-part podcast. In this podcast, Richard Erickson, a distinguished officer of various diplomatic accomplishments, recounts the events surrounding the Blue House raid and subsequent seizure of the USS Pueblo in 1968 near the Korean Peninsula. Born in Hawaii in 1923 into a military family, Richard Erickson was raised in various locations across the American continent, as warranted by his father's successive military assignments. He eventually matriculated at Georgetown's Foreign Service School, where he studied intermittently between 1941 and 1955, during which time World War II came along, leading him to also serve his time in the Army, mainly in South Korea and Japan. Unlike many whose assignments would span diverse regions, Erickson was successfully able to maintain a primary focus in the East Asian region. In 1947, he joined the Foreign Service and was assigned to Yokohama, Japan. After some years in the Army, Foreign Service, and even some time at Harvard University for Japanese language studies, Erickson returned back to Washington, received a degree from Georgetown, and went on to work at various State Department assignments and diplomatic posts. To be particularly noted, he is largely attributed with helping to prevent a dangerous breach in relations between Japan and South Korea in the 1970s. But it was in the year of 1965 that Erickson undertook his post as political counselor in Seoul, South Korea during which time the events of the Blue House Raid and USS Pueblo seizure take place, which he recounts in an interview with Charles Stuart Kennedy in March 1995. The um, Blue House Raid was a, was a... was certainly the most critical. And I mean the Blue House Raid, I do not mean the Pueblo. <laughs> Yeah. The Blue House Raid was certainly the most critical event during that uh, period, my period there in 65, 68, because it came as the culmination of a long series of things. Things were very tense along. Uh, mm -hmm. And Pac used this tension, as you know, to uh, justify a lot of his <coughs> repressive measures he took. Uh, and as I say, he was very fond of quoting President Lincoln or holding mm -hmm. President Lincoln's activities up to all the congressmen that came through mm -hmm. and who were protesting uh, these measures, both during this period and during the later one. Anyway, the Blue House Raid came at a time when there was a hell of a lot of tension. Pac was feeling very unhappy about a number of things. Uh, he, he was beginning to think, I, I, I believe, that the commitment to, to Vietnam had weakened them too badly, and uh, he was starting to agitate for more military mm -hmm. aid in Korea. And then uh, we got reports that some 32, uh, well, 30-some uh, well-armed North Koreans had been seen inside the DMZ by a couple of woodcutters that had, uh, uh, had been allowed to go back to their village with the warning that if they divulged their presence in the country, they, they would come back and wipe out the whole damn village. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, the word spread immediately through the South Korean mm -hmm. government. 
South Korean government threw up any number of roadblocks, mm -hmm. mobilized any number of people, covered all the routes into mm -hmm. Seoul, uh, and the, these guys just plain disappeared. Uh, and for two days, uh, they were not heard from. And then, on I think the evening of, I guess it was January 23rd, it was a cold evening. Uh, a column of men in South Korean uniform came marching out of, uh, down the road from the north mm -hmm. toward a special police checkpoint that had been set up on the, on the uh, road that leads directly north uh, of Seoul, right, right near the Blue House, as a matter of fact, within a mile of the Blue House. And uh, they came up to this Korean police checkpoint, which was there because mm -hmm. they were lo still looking for these guys. It was a temporary checkpoint, and uh, they were challenged, and the leader uh, told the Korean, South Korean policeman that to, to button his damn lip, uh, we're CIC, and uh, we're going back, uh, we're going heading back to our barracks, and you guys don't muck around with us. And of course, they very good psych, Korean psychology. They didn't, police mm -hmm. didn't muck around mm -hmm. with CIC detachment. But one of the guys in the in the police block uh, was a little annoyed by this. He felt it was embarrassing to be talked to like that. So he asked his headquarters, why the hell didn't you tell us there was CIC in the area? And the headquarters came back after a while and said, uh, we, we, there are no CIC in your area. A police lieutenant at, on duty at the Blue House, on special mm -hmm. duty for the same purpose, because of the fear of these people, uh, heard the broadcast and decided he would investigate. So he got into his Jeep and he drove down to uh, intercept this column as it came marching along, which he did. By this time, it was getting, he was within 800 yards of the Blue House and it was getting to be fairly heavily mm -hmm. populated. Because Seoul in those days was not all that populated to the north. Yeah. Now it is. Uh, you couldn't do, you couldn't mm -hmm. do this thing mm -hmm. today. But um, he challenged them, and uh, he was killed. Uh, they opened fire on him. Uh, mm -hmm. But in the process, they opened fire on everybody else around them. And uh, then, strangely, they separated into small groups of two or three. They apparently had no dispersal plan. They had no, no uh, contingency plans mm -hmm. for what might happen if, if, uh, if they were discovered mm -hmm. before they got to the Blue House. Uh, but anyway, their mission was, uh, well, making... Anyway, making a long story short, they split into large groups. The Koreans spent an enormous amount of effort into getting them. Uh, they captured two. Uh, I think two were never heard from, and the rest were all killed in firefights in one place or another by rock security forces. Of the two they captured, one they took to the local police station, and uh, where, where, once he got inside the police station, he managed to detonate a grenade that he had concealed on his person, killed himself and about five senior Korean police officials. Mm. They didn't shake him down very well, obviously. But uh, the other one, uh, after a while, after a severe interrogation, as so many uh, Asian prisoners eventually do, broke down and told uh, all about himself mm. and his unit. And we didn't think that our intelligence, and I guess you have to include the embassy and all that, we didn't think there were uh, 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 units of this kind. But he said that there was a, uh, a, uh, an organization of at least a thousand specially trained uh, people uh, in, uh, currently undergoing training in North Korea for just such missions. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and um, they asked him, uh, where is it? And they just had never heard of anything like this. And, and they asked him where it was, and he told where the camp was. And he said, draw a map. All right, he drew a map, a rather crude map, but, a, but it turned out that when the spy plane photographs came back, uh, it was where it was said it to be, mm -hmm. and it very closely, you could actually make an overlay mm -hmm. if you had the right scale. He drew mm -hmm. a very good map of the place. They asked him what, where they train. He told them, do you use radio? Yes. What frequencies? He told them what frequencies. Never heard anything on those frequencies. Try it. Uh, they came up. Uh, so we began to believe this mm -hmm. guy. Uh, and he said that the mission was, to, uh, their mission in the end was to assassinate President Park. They were supposed to deploy not very far from where they had been intercepted, as a matter of fact, because they were getting very close. But their idea was to just rush the Blue House, uh, raise hell, and find Park. Who was there? The South Koreans, uh, Park uh, went ape over this incident. It came close. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, it clearly demonstrated that his phobia on assassination was well-grounded, and uh, he did what he occasionally did on, in periods of great stress. He went up to the mountains with a couple of friends and a couple of ladies and a large supply of alcohol, and, and uh, he disappeared. He wasn't around, but we got stories that he was just enraged, mm -hmm. just beside himself. Now, the Koreans looked upon this, of course, as a major, major event, and we were seriously concerned that out of that mountain fastness of his would come the order, go get him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was going to cross the DMZ. But he would, he would take, mm -hmm. he would seek vengeance or retaliation of some kind. But there, he was, not, he was out of touch. There was no way that uh, that, that you could get to him directly. Anyway. Uh, um, they finally, uh, they were hunting down these individuals, and they, they finally hunted them all down. And uh, the way they broke the one prisoner, as a matter of fact, that, that you could get to him directly. Anyway, uh, um, they finally, uh, they were hunting down these individuals, and they, they finally hunted them all down. And uh, the way they broke the one prisoner, as a matter of fact, was that they, 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 the South Koreans assembled all the bodies on a hillside, uh, 26 or 27 of these guys, mm -hmm. and stiff and cold, because it was very, very cold. And they uh, marched the prisoner they had along the line. Mm -hmm. uh, and here is a man who was denying any complicity. Mm -hmm. or anything. The Koreans who were escorting him got to the last body, and they kicked its head. And the head rolled off and went down the hill, uh, rolled off down the hill. And at that point, they say, this fellow decided he would be willing to tell them uh, all about himself. At one point, uh, as far as dealing with the North Koreans were concerned, the South Koreans, uh, if they weren't going to declare war, they wanted to haul them into Panmunjom, and the South Koreans were going to take over the meeting, and they were going to uh, flail at the North Koreans for all their sins and inequities. And one of the schemes they had was to take all 36 frozen bodies and dump them on the table at Panmunjom and say, here they are, they're yours, take them back. Uh, but... Uh, Anyway, calmer heads he eventually prevailed. But it was three days after, 
three or four days, I guess January 28th maybe, after the uh, Blue House raid, was the Pueblo was seized. And that's where we really <coughs> got into trouble mm -hmm. with the South Koreans. A, they had no knowledge that the Pueblo was there. B... You might explain what the Pueblo, Pueblo was. The Pueblo was Noah's Ark uh, rigged with electronic listening gear, intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, and I say Noah's Ark, I mean it was what we used to call in the Army a Baltic-class freighter, yeah. about the slowest, uh, most inefficient, a very small uh, coastal freighter type <coughs> vessel. Uh, I forget what its tonnage was, under about 1,500, mm. I think. Maybe, uh, maybe under 1,000, I can't remember. It was a small ship, very slow. You're not covering up your... No, no. Not like, no it's okay. Very slow. Um, but this particular ship was one of the uh, Navy's electronic intelligence gathering mm -hmm. uh, vessels, and it had been... It had replaced another ship called the Banner, uh, which had been there for quite some time. And it was uh, reasons not fairly new on the beat, but it had been controlling up and down the coast of North Korea, mm -hmm. picking up what it could, in uh, way by way of North Korean and uh, electronic uh, activity. The ambassador didn't know it was there. Sinkunk may have known it was there. I don't know. Uh, the military may have informed him. Was there? The, the embassy was not informed, and neither were the Koreans. And uh, it, it was approached by a North Korean patrol boat off the port of Wonsan. Uh, I think it was pretty clearly uh, in what we considered international waters. It was likewise pretty clearly not in international, in what the North Koreans considered international waters. They were claiming a 12-mile limit at the time, and, and the ship's orders were to stay outside the three-mile limit. Uh, but they, the North Koreans were certainly aware that it was there and had been for some time, and they, were, they had tolerated it, probably, uh, not wanting to kick up a major fuss. But then when the Blue House raid came along, three days later they took it. Now the question arises, why? Uh, they, they captured it with the loss of the death of one seaman and, and the capture of, what was it, 52? 51? There were 52 men on board and 51 were captured, one death, something like that. Anyway, uh, my theory always has been, my own personal theory always has been, that they had no idea, the North Koreans had no comprehension of what it meant to seize, to attack and seize an American naval vessel on the high seas, what it would mean to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that they wanted, they were fearful that uh, the Blue House raid having uh, failed and uh, Pak still being alive, that he might order some kind of major hostilities and that they didn't want this thing there. It was something to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to remember the South Koreans were taking, I mean, North Koreans were taking South Korean boats regularly. Mm -hmm. It was their habit to pick up South Korean, not, uh, not official vessels, mm -hmm. But South Korean fishing boats and all that, and take their crews up, brainwash them, and send them back to South Korea. Or, mm -hmm. But uh, they've been doing that, you know, there are probably 50 to 100 incidents of that kind. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it, uh, that they were really fully sensitive to what this might have meant to us, uh, to take a naval ship. Anyway, it, meant, it turned out it meant a great deal <laughs> to mm -hmm. us. 
And one of our major points of difficulty with the South Koreans was that they thought the Blue House raid was by all odds, it was an assassination attempt on their president, was by all odds the more important, and that the Pueblo was a sideshow. And we, of course, at least back in the United States, we thought that the Pueblo was the heinous crime of the century, and the Blue House raid was what? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. not many of us had even heard. My God, they, they, they captured Ball, didn't yeah, they? And, yeah. you know, anyway, yet that became a real bone of contention between the two of us. The, uh, but um, Washington reacted virulently uh, to the Pueblo, of course, and uh, you probably worth uh, Lyndon Johnson ordered the Carrier Enterprise, which had just finished a visit in Sasebo, uh, yeah. to come steaming up the uh, west east coast of Korea and, and station itself off Wonsan. And the idea was maybe we were going to take Wonsan and all its uh, defenses out and recapture the ship. Any all kinds of wild ideas were were floated about what our reaction should be. Uh, our main concern in the embassy was trying to get Washington to focus on. Uh, the fact that there was a real problem with the South Koreans uh, because of the Blue House raid and the disparity between our reaction uh, to it and the, and the Pueblo. Not so much the North Koreans, who uh, probably were not interested in, in a real war at that mm -hmm. time, uh, but who would, would respond, if, uh, certainly if attacked. And that, of course, was what determined the United States to uh, uh, send the enterprise back on its way. Uh, the military intelligence was such that the estimate was given that it would take everything the enterprise had, and probably a good deal more, to penetrate that air envelope around Onsan, mm -hmm. and that we might very well find ourselves facing a full-scale war in Korea mm -hmm. if we tried to do anything of that kind. Mm -hmm. Because that kind of, that might have, my own feeling was that if we, if we had done that, mm -hmm. it would have encouraged Park to the point where he might just, yeah. uh, UN command or no UN command, he would have ordered the South Korean forces to, to uh, go. Mm -hmm. He was. Remember again, the man was out of touch with reality yeah. during this whole period. So, uh, well, first of all, we had to figure out how to get the, the ship and the crew back. Mm -hmm. And that's where we got into further difficulty with the South Koreans. The South Koreans were already beginning, many of them, to look at our reaction as sort of pusillanimous. Of course, they weren't aware, of the, perhaps, of the fact, they should have been, of the fact that the forces that we had in Korea were the two divisions we had, the 2nd and the 7th, were miserable. I mean, they were in very bad shape. Mm -hmm. uh, they had about two-thirds of their complement of troops. The rest were filled in with katusas. Uh, katusas Korean, being Korean the... augmentation to U.S. forces. Mm -hmm. And, and they were, they were, what they were was essentially Korean soldiers mm -hmm. uh, detailed to serve in American units. And uh, that was always a iffy kind of an operation. They never fit in very well, although some of them did some very, very, very good work, mm -hmm. and certainly without them, we'd have been in vastly worse shape. Mm -hmm. But um, incidentally, the group that the, the uh, Blue House Raiders had come right through the American lines, mm -hmm. and they had come through the American lines deliberately because they said they couldn't get through the, the man who, who broke down and told about their you know, the, the captured man, said that um, that they figured they couldn't get through the South Koreans because the South Koreans did their patrolling. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and uh, kept awake and did not smoke cigarettes and did not, uh, you know, huddle together for warmth and all uh -huh. that sort of thing. Whereas the Americans uh, uh, up along the DMZ mm -hmm. smoked. Uh, you could smell their smoke. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you could hear them talking. Mm -hmm. uh, they did get together. Uh, uh, when it got very, very cold, mm -hmm. uh, they were ordered to... Uh, Places where they could congregate two or three mm -hmm. in a, and keep warm, and they did rely on sensors that had been mm -hmm. installed along the American front, not the Korean front. Mm -hmm. But uh, a lot of these sensors that had been developed for battle in Vietnam were brought up, uh, you know, uh, ground effect radar yeah. and, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean, ground effect uh, trim uh, uh, seismic seismic. seismic sensors and, and anti-personnel radar mm -hmm. and stuff like that had been, had been developed for Vietnam and was brought up to Korea. Unfortunately, nobody thought to make sure that it functioned as well at 20 below or you know, yeah. even zero or freezing yeah. uh, as it had in the temperatures of Vietnam. And it didn't. Anyway, the, the second division commander was furious when he heard this guy say they'd come right through his, mm -hmm. his lines and the, they took him up to the fence. There was a big chain-link fence uh -huh. that uh, was formed one part of the second division's uh, lines. And the second division commander said, you know, prove it to me. And he went up to the fence and kicked it. And a large segment of the fence fell out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, knew, he knew exactly where to go. Yeah. Uh, and incidentally, they had come over the hills. The, the, two, the two days they were gone, it was way below freezing all day uh -huh. and all night. And uh, it was in a, a marvelous uh, 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 carrying full equipment and all the rest of it to come over those hills and mountains uh, on the way into Seoul was yeah. a real feat of, uh, and get there that fast, yeah. was a real feat of uh, physical endurance. Uh, even though an enemy did do it, they should be applauded for it. But um, anyhow, uh, how to get the crew back from the Pueblo became our main concern. To find the second half of this moment, please look for next week's podcast, where we learn more about the particular negotiations that took place surrounding the USS Pueblo seizure.